Good evening, everyone. Happy Wednesday. As we're uh, rapidly approaching Valentine's Day, you, you might have expected me to construct a speech of great inspiration around love and joy and the sweetness of life with other people. And uh, well, that was perhaps a talk that I'll do some other time. Um, we're working on the idea of freedom over these six months. And although we are going to talk about love and relationships, I'm mm, sorry or honest to say, uh, you know, love has been both a source of great freedom in my life and a source of great bondage in my life. And so I'm going to talk a little more uh, frankly about the concept of love tonight, and hopefully you'll, you'll go there with me. Um, you know, one of my favorite movies on the planet is Rear Window, one of the Alfred Hitchcock uh, movies. And in it, Thelma Ritter says to Jimmy Stewart, uh, implies that he's not moving forward fast enough in his romance. And she says, you know, love should be like two taxis on Fifth Avenue. And I think that for many of us, love feels like that, doesn't it? When, when that first love first blossoms, it almost feels like you're leaping off a building into something wonderful and inexplicable and, and magic. And, and of course, for many of us, like leaping off a building, we hit the bottom. <laughs> I'm going to start tonight with uh, some quotes about love from kids because I, I thought instead of a joke that actually this was more interesting. So first of all, Lynn, this is Lynette, aged eight. She was asked what people do on a date. So Lynette says, dates are for having fun, and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. And Martin, age 10, says, well, on the first date, they generally just tell each other lies, but that gets them interested enough for the second date. <laughs> Craig, age 9, was asked, uh, what would you do on a first date that was turning bad? Craig says, I'd run home and play dead. <laughs> the, the next day, I would call the newspapers and make sure they wrote about me being dead. <laughs> When asked, how do you decide who to marry, Kirsten, age 10, says, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way beforehand. They'll find out later who they're stuck with. <laughs> and finally, Camille, age 10, was asked, what's the right age to get married? She says, 23 is the best age because you know the person forever by then. <laughs> So what is this thing called love? You know, I think it's not surprising that kids are mixed up by it because aren't we mixed up a little by it? Haven't we all had a, a relationship, whether it was a good friend or, or a partner or someone that we were dating that on the surface seemed grand and wonderful and, and how quickly things could turn into a total mess? You know, it's not actually surprising a lot of research, believe it or not, has been done on the subject of where our idea of what relationships are supposed to be, where that comes from. And you might have thought that it was from modeling what our parents did. Modern research has shown that actually that's not true. 
uh, the way that we think we're supposed to be in relation, and, and, and of course, this is a huge generalization, so, so don't trip me up on that one, okay? But where most of us get our ideas of what relationships are supposed to be like are the relationship that we had initially with our primary caregiver. And so the, uh, the researchers uh, have kind of developed a way of, re in, in real broad ways, of characterizing what these early attachments to our first caregivers, you know, normally a mother and father, but sometimes a nanny, sometimes a grandmother. Uh, it, it's whoever perhaps we felt closest to when we were in those, uh, th that up to our first year uh, of living on the planet. And the researchers have characterized these early attachments, these early ways of being with other people in three ways. The first one is a kind of an anxious relationship. And so let me read you what it said about anxious. You love to be very close to your romantic partner or friends and have the capacity for great intimacy, but you often fear that your partner does not wish to be as close to you as you would like to be to him or her. Relationships tend to consume a large part of your emotional energy. You tend to be very sensitive to small fluctuations in your partner's moods and actions. You experience negative emotions within the relationship and are easily upset based on what your friends or partners do. As a result, you tend to act out and say things you may later regret. If the other person provides you a lot of security and reassurance, however, you are able to shed much of your nervousness and preoccupation and feel contented. Okay. The second one is typified with the word secure. When you're secure in those early relationships, you are warm and loving in relationships and friendships, and they come naturally to you. You enjoy being intimate without becoming overly worried about it. You take things in stride when it comes to romance or friendship. You don't easily get upset over relationship matters. You effectively communicate your needs and feelings to your partner. You can read your partner's emotional needs fairly well. You share your successes and problems with your mate or your friends. You're able to be there for him or her in times of need. And then the third category is called avoidant. And if you follow this sort of pattern, it's very important for you to maintain your personal independence and self-sufficiency. You often prefer autonomy to an overly intimate relationship. Even though you do wish to be close to others, even though you desire physical and emotional intimacy, you can feel uncomfortable with too much closeness. You tend to keep your partner and some of your best friends a little bit at arm's length. You don't spend much time worrying about your romantic relationships or being rejected because often you're not that open to your partners. They may complain that you are emotionally distant. Now, can you see that this is representing kind of a continuum, right? The folks wanting to be perhaps overly close and needing that constant reassurance on one side you know, through that middle ground to the folks at the other side that perhaps can be a little distant and aloof. Now, what maybe, so, so in that respect, you know, okay, no big deal. You've kind of described this, um, if you will, this spectrum of the way that we approach relationships and friendships. What you might be startled by is after interviewing thousands of folks, these researchers actually discovered that about 25% 
of the population are on that anxious side. And another 25% are on uh, that aloof or that avoidant side of the scale. Now, uh, for any of you in the dating pool right now, think about what this means. Because you can guess who's making up about 80% of the dating pool. They're the avoidant folks. They're the folks that would like to be dating, that desire a certain amount of intimacy, but have trouble committing. So first of all, if any of you out there are dating or want to be dating, this is a big whew. No wonder I'm having trouble. No wonder I've had to, to meet quite a few different people before I found some that were responding to my warmth and my, my friendship. And it goes even for friendships, not just dating. A lot of the folks out there that you might find yourself uh, 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 wanting to get closer to, wanting to get more intimate with, they're not actually that sort of person based on some of those early childhood experiences of them. Likewise, when you're out in the world, you may feel people that are wanting to, to, to connect with you a little too fast and a, and a, a little too demonstrably. You know, it's, it's like on, on the third date, they ask you what china patterns you like. Or, uh, uh, you know, if we were to get married, what part of town would you want to live in, you know? <laughs> and on the third date, that can be a little freaky. <laughs> so, so first of all, it provides us a little bit of good information, a little bit of fun information information to reassure ourselves when we're out there meeting new friends, when we're out there perhaps dating, that we're not crazy, that, that those of us more, the 50% of us that are in the middle there, um, yeah, it's okay, and people are different, and it's okay that they're different. It's part of what their background is. But you also might be wondering, well, what if I'm one of those folks? What if I'm kind of one of the folks on, on the two extremes? Is there anything I can do about it? And should I worry about it? Is it okay to be out there? Well, first of all, of course it's okay to be out there. Of course it is. This is just a little bit of who we are from the history of who we are, most likely. And the good news is, of course, and they found this in the study, that as we change our thinking about relationships... What do you know? We can change our experience of relationships. And so if you find yourself being one of those kind of anxious people in relationships, it's like, oh my gosh, I need to keep checking up on my boyfriend or girlfriend because I'm kind of just not feeling close enough. I'm not feeling, you know, we can do things about that. Or if you're the person that finds yourself, you know, why am I 58 and, and, and still kind of put off by the idea of getting married or being in a long-term relationship, even though I really want it, there's something if you choose, if you want, there's something you can do about that too. And I think what is totally amazing here is that it absolutely fits into our idea of science of mind and changing some of our beliefs, changing some of the way that we approach the world. And it absolutely also fits in to our idea of eternal love or that idea of God's love. And so I'd like to approach the idea of coming to the middle ground for those of us who want to, for those of us who, who want to perhaps have deeper and, and, uh, and more connected relationships to, to friends and lovers and family members, uh, just some guidelines. And I'm going to do this absolutely simply from the perspective of how do we view divine love, that love that comes from God. Well, to me, immediately, three words come to mind. Unconditional, available, and everyone. 
right? Let's talk about these for just a minute. First of all, the idea of unconditional. You know what? God loves us whether we've had a good day or a bad day. God loves us whether we went to church on Sunday or on Wednesday or not. God loves us if we are just got out of prison or just going into prison. It really doesn't matter. God's love is available to us. It's completely unconditional. And what they discovered in the, the studies with these three styles of loving and forming attachments and forming relationships is the more your loving is unconditional, the more towards the center that you come. That it's on those edges where the loving tends to get fairly conditional. And, and think about it for a minute. If you're the anxious lover, right, you're going to put some conditions on that love. I don't want you hanging out with those other women in the office, right? I want you for me. I want some, some conditions here on this relationship we have. And it works for friendship too, right? I want this to be something that we share. And here are the, here are the conditions for, for playing the game here. Or, or even sometimes you'll notice that in couples, right, the conditions around, well, I will support you in your little bit of craziness if you support me in my little bit of craziness. And it isn't even always tacitly said what it is, right? That the one person might be driving the other one crazy because they're, they're messy all the time and creating just havoc around there. And, and it's just, you know, born silently at, because you know that the other person's putting up with your craziness and, and your, you know, whatever it is, you're getting into car wrecks and craziness along those lines. And so you're standing there reinforcing each other rather than stepping forward and saying, wait a minute, is there a different way of doing this? Is there a more unconditional way that we can love each other? So that's our first tip. We want to bring ourselves more into that center place, more where our loving can feel more intimate, we probably also have to remove some of those conditions. Sometimes we're not even aware of them going on. Other times they're in the back of our head, but we've been so used to them being there, we simply think that's the way it is. The second thing I wanted to talk about is the idea of love being available for everyone right? God is not going to withhold God's love from anyone. It applies to, to folks here in this room. It applies to your friends and family. God's love is truly available to everyone. But how are we good at mimicking that, right? It's maybe easy with some of our friends and family, but are we also willing to extend our love to some of the people that are a little more difficult to love? Do you know what I mean by the idea of folks that are a little more difficult to love? I got to tell you, being the minister of a, of a church, we have uh, committees. <laughs> and, and I want you, none of you, of course, can go back and tell my church about this, but there are some of the committee meetings that I go to that I kind of dread them. And it isn't that the meeting itself is too tough, although sometimes they're long and sometimes they require me to have extra patience. But occasionally there are actually people, even in my life, that are a little hard to love. <laughs> but what I would like to suggest to you is if we can make that part of our goal, 
Even back to the idea of the committees, so often the committees, the focus is on some end product, right? We're going to put on a, a fabulous Easter, or we're going to put on a, a wonderful concert, or we're going to put on, you know, something, and that seems like that, that's the goal. And I want to tell you, that's not the goal. The goal is that everyone in that room gets to experience love. And if in the meantime we manage to plan a concert, if we plan an extra special Easter service, well, I think that's gravy on the top. I have been reorienting myself to have every meeting, every service, every encounter being about love. That that's actually the purpose of it, and the byproduct of it is a great Sunday service or, or a wonderful campaign or whatever it is. If we can extend ourselves to the people we normally would love and even the people that are hard to love, if we offer them all that same ability as you stand forward in your truth and your open-heartedness, that ability to love, oh my gosh, the world opens up. Suddenly, the people who may have seemed hard to love before are responding in ways that you never thought possible. It puts you right in the middle of that continuum of styles of loving and opens you up to accept love from the universe itself. So if you can find it in your heart to do what God does and says, I love y'all, I just love y'all, and maybe that's even just the purpose why we're here, that to the degree that you can pull that off, I would say, oh my gosh, your world is going to turn around. That has been my experience. I made this vow uh, last fall. We had just come off of our stewardship campaign, you know, where we're talking about money and forming, you know, pledge dinners and all. And it was like committee, 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 committee. And people, you know, church and money, sometimes people get crazy around all of those ideas or whatnot. And I made myself the vow as that campaign wound up that it's not about the campaigns anymore. It's not about the end product being a thing or a program the end product is just about love. And I got to tell you, things have been going a lot smoother in my life. When people come together for the purpose of love, you get so much work done. <laughs> All right, the last thing that I know about God and the idea of love is that it's always available. It's not just available on Wednesday nights. It's not just available when you're in a good mood. It's not just available on your, your anniversary. It's not just available, I don't know, when the sun's shining and the stars are aligned and your biorhythms are, are on track. God's love is constant 100% of the time. And I think that's part of my journey as well. If I can be open-hearted enough to simply represent love in the world. And that's the other way I've been looking at things as well. When someone presents me with a problem, instead of me thinking, well, you know, what should Larry as the minister do with this one? You know, I need to, on the one hand, have my ministerial presence as being, you know, a little bit perhaps evolved more than other people. And on the other hand, I want to extend the hand in friendship. And, at the, you know, I'm throwing all that BS out. I'm just asking, what would love do? When someone asks me what should be done, when I'm faced with my own personal crisis of, uh, of where am I going next or, or some problem that's coming up, I'm starting to simply just say, 
you know, my, my, my little plus and minus list, maybe the pros and cons can be reduced to just what's the most loving thing to do? So I know we started out with a, a bit of a challenge tonight, right? The, and, and I could see a little grimness in some of your faces saying, oh my gosh, Larry, you're saying that the first year of my life has programmed me into one of these categories and it explains why, you know, I broke up with my first husband. And, but what I'm really here to tell you is that you have the power to experience the most loving life that you can possibly imagine. Because all of those descriptions of loving styles, that's just how we started out. And oh my gosh, think of where we might finish up. By extending our hands in friendship, by opening our hearts to, to being loving as much of the time to as many people as we can, love truly will transform us. And when we're transformed by love, the universe is transformed by love. You know, in this season for peace and nonviolence, I think that we, we talk a lot about the idea of peace, and I wonder if we spent a little more time talking about love, if the peace would just come naturally. Because when truly we love one another as we love ourselves, when, when truly we extend our hand in friendship, much in the way, you know, back to the idea of the school children and their ideas of what love is, maybe we need to go back to some of those childlike things. Maybe when we meet someone new, it's okay to just step right up and say, hi, I'm Larry and I'd like to be your friend. <laughs> I know, okay, now I know, that I might get treated a little oddly if I do that out in the business world. So maybe I'll think of uh, some other subtler ways to say it. But with that childlike appeal, with that ability to just say, you know, I don't care who you are, where you come from, whatever, Let's be friends today. Let's, that, let's have that be the purpose here. Let's see what we can do together. Last month, I talked a little bit about the, the Freedom Trail in Boston and the idea of uh, what was going on in our early uh, forefathers and, and foremothers as they fought for independence from England. And uh, I wanted to follow up with that a little bit um, uh, with the idea of love. So if you actually walk on the Freedom Trail, one of the things you'll read about on it, there's a little plaque at the house where she lived. Uh, her name was Melissant Barrett. And the part that she played uh, in the, the Freedom of America was that in 1775, a, a group of British redcoats encamped at her farm. Now, think about it. She's, uh, she's 15 years old. Here are all these men in uniform. Well, what many of the farm girls were doing, of course, was they were having a kind of affairs with some of the, the quote, enemy, right? Not Millicent. She instead started chatting them up. And in fact, her diary said that she, had an, uh, uh, she was amusing herself by talking politics uh, with one of the red coat colonels. 
And so he asked her whether or not uh, anyone in town, how they would be able to defend themselves adequately uh, if there was an, an, an uprising. And uh, Millicent said, well, uh, they used powder horns and, and bullets to load their guns and kind of proceeded to, to tell the officer a little bit about how they shot bears and, and things like that. Well, the, uh, the corporal, I guess, uh, uh, laughed at her and replied that that method wasn't going to work too well, and he showed her how to make cartridges, an important skill, as muskets can be loaded and fired much more quickly with cartridges. So guess what? She taught her teenage friends how to make cartridges. And so in the uprising in 1775, outside of her hometown, they prevailed due to the teenagers who had put together all of the cartridges, allowing them to reload their muskets with great ease. She truly understood the idea between infatuation and what was important to her. I'm going to close tonight uh, with a prayer about love. If you'd like, you can just uh, close your eyes for a moment. There is one power, one presence, one life. And I would suggest that this thing that I call God is also this thing that I call love. That that biggest container of all things is a container called love. In my own heart, I recognize that God probably created the entire universe just out of love for itself, just out of love for the pure aspect of creativity. That means every person, every place, everything, every situation, all of it created out of and because of love. I know that means me, and I know that means each person in this room, that each person here absolutely created out of perfect love. And so for this day and for the people in this room, I claim that ability to recognize love everywhere around us. That there is an ease of, of both receiving and giving love to the people that we care about and even some of the people that are hard to love that truly our hearts and our minds open so beautifully as we extend the hand of friendship and love. I also know for each person in this room that there's that ability to love unconditionally, to be loving everyone, to be loving always. It is the nature of God to love in this way. And I recognize in my own heart that as each of us approaches that method of loving in our own lives, that the world opens before us like a beautiful spring flower, revealing that, that love that God calls nature, revealing our own open hearts and open minds, just to love more fully, to experience life more beautifully, and to create a paradise on this earth. And so I'm grateful for this awareness, grateful for love. I release this prayer into the action and activity of the law itself. I, I just let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Thanks so much.